Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. The title is The Resurrection of Our Lord Jesus. This is part two. And in part one, the brother was telling us about the bearings, the bearings of the fact of Jesus rising from the dead. It was a tangible proof that there is another life, he said. It was the seal to all his claims. It was the acceptance of his sacrifice. And he says, now bear with me. Uh, excuse me, his text was 2 Timothy 2, 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Bear with me while I notice next another bearing of this resurrection of Christ. It was a guarantee of his people's resurrection. There is a great truth that never is to be forgotten, namely that Christ and his people are one, just as Adam and all his seed are one. That which Adam did, he did as a head for a body. And as our Lord Jesus and all believers are one, so that which Jesus did, he did as a head for a body. We were crucified together with Christ. We were buried with Christ, and we are risen together with him. Yea, he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says, Because I live, ye shall live also. If Christ be not raised from the dead, your faith is vain, and our preaching is vain, and you are yet in your sins, and those that have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, and you will perish too. But if Christ has been raised from the dead, then all his people must be raised also. It's a matter of gospel necessity. There's no logic more imperative than the argument drawn from union with Christ. God has made the saints one with Christ. And if Christ has risen, all the saints must rise too. My soul takes firm hold on this. And as she strengthens her grasp, she loses all fear of death. Now we bear our dear ones to the cemetery and leave them, each one in his narrow cell, calmly bidding him farewell and saying with the poet, So Jesus slept, God's dying son, passed through the grave and blessed the bed. Rest here, dear saint, till from his throne the morning break and pierce the shade. <clears throat> it is not merely ours to know that our brethren are living in heaven, but also that their mortal parts are in divine custody, securely kept till the appointed hour when the body shall be reanimated and the perfect man shall enjoy the adoption of God. We are sure that our dead men shall live, and together with Christ's dead body they shall rise. No power can hold endurance the redeemed of the Lord. Let my people go shall be a command as much obeyed by death as once by the humbled Pharaoh who could not hold a single Israelite in bonds. The day of deliverance cometh on apace. Again the poet, break from his throne, illustrious morn. Attend, O earth, his sovereign word. Restore thy trust, a glorious form. He must ascend to meet his Lord. 
once more, our Lord's rising from the dead is a fair picture of the new life which all believers already enjoy. Beloved, though this body is still subject to bondage, like the rest of the visible creation, according to the law stated in Scripture, the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is life because of righteousness. The regeneration which has taken place in those who believe has changed our spirit and given to it eternal life, but it has not affected our body further than this, that it has made it to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. And thus it is a holy thing, and cannot be obnoxious to the Lord, or swept away among unholy things. But still the body is subject to pain and weariness, and to the supreme sentence of death. Not so the Spirit. There is within us already a part of the resurrection accomplished, since it is written, And you has he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You once were like the ungodly under the law of sin and death, but you have been brought out of the bondage of corruption into the liberty of life and grace. The Lord, having wrought in you gloriously according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now, just as Jesus Christ led after his resurrection a life very different from that before his death, so you and I are called upon to live a high and noble spiritual and heavenly life, seeing that we have been raised from the dead to die no more. Let us joy and rejoice in this. Let us behave as those who are alive from the dead, the happy children of the resurrection. Do not let us be money grubbers or hunters after worldly fame. Let us not set our affections on the foul things of this dead and rotten world, but let our hearts fly upward like young birds that have broken loose of their shells, upward towards our Lord and the heavenly things upon which he would have us set our minds. Living truth, living work, living faith, these are the things for living men. Let us cast off the grave clothes of our former lusts and wear the garments of light and life. May the Spirit of God help us in further meditating upon these things in our homes. Now, secondly, let us consider the bearings of this fact of the resurrection upon the gospel. For Paul says Jesus Christ was raised from the dead according to my gospel. I always like to see what way any kind of statement bears on the gospel. I may not have many more opportunities of preaching, and I make up my mind to this one thing, that I will waste no time upon secondary themes, but when I do preach it, it shall be the gospel, or something very closely bearing upon it. I will endeavor each time to strike under the fifth rib and never beat the air. Some preachers remind me of the emperor who had a wonderful skill in carving men's heads upon cherry stones. What a multitude of preachers we have who can make wonderfully fine discourses out of a mere passing thought of no consequence to anyone. But we want the gospel. 
We have to live and die, and we must have the gospel. Certain of us may be cold in our graves before many weeks are over, and we cannot afford to toy and trifle. We want to see the bearings of all teachings upon our eternal destinies and upon the gospel which sheds its light over our future. The resurrection of Christ is vital, because first it tells us that the gospel is the gospel of a living Savior. We have not to send poor penitents to the crucifix, the dead image of a dead man. We say not, These be thy gods, O Israel. We have not to send you to a little baby Christ nursed by a woman. Nothing of the sort. Behold the Lord that liveth and was dead and is alive forevermore and has the keys of hell and of death. Behold in him a living and accessible Savior who out of the glory still cries with loving accents, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I say, we have a living Savior. And is not this a glorious feature of the gospel? Notice next that we have a powerful Savior in connection with the gospel that we preach. For he who had power to raise himself from the dead has all power now that he is raised. He who in death vanquishes death can much more conquer by his life. He who being in the grave did nevertheless burst all its bonds can assuredly deliver all his people. He who coming under the power of the law did nevertheless fulfill the law and thus set his people free from bondage must be mighty to save. You need a Savior strong and mighty, yet you do not need one stronger than he of, of whom it is written that he rose again from the dead. What a blessed gospel we have to preach, the gospel of a living Christ who hath himself returned from the dead, leading captivity captive. And now notice that we have the gospel of complete justification to preach to you. We do not come and say, Brethren, Jesus Christ by his death did something by which men may be saved, if, if they have a mind to be, and diligently carry out their good resolves. No, no, no. We say Jesus Christ took the sin of his people upon himself, and bore the consequences of it in his own body on the tree, so that he died, and having died, and so paid the penalty, he lives again. And now all for whom he died, all his people whose sins he bore, are free from the guilt of sin. You ask me, who are they? And I reply, as many as believe on him. Whosoever believeth in Jesus Christ is as free from the guilt of sin as Christ is. Our Lord Jesus took the sin of his people and died in the sinner's stead. And now being himself set free, all his people are set free in their representative. He has performed the work entrusted to him. He has finished transgression, made an end of sin, and brought in everlasting righteousness. And whosoever believeth in him is not condemned, and never can be. Once again, the connection of the resurrection and the gospel is this. It proves the safety of the saints. For if when Christ rose, his people rose also, they rose to a life like that of their Lord. 
and therefore they can never die. It is written, Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. And it is so with the believer. If you have been dead with Christ and are risen with Christ, death has no more dominion over you. You shall never go back to the beggarly elements of sin. You shall never become what you were before your regeneration. You shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck you out of Jesus' hand. He has put within you a living and incorruptible seed, which liveth and abideth forever. He says himself, The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of living water, springing up into everlasting life. Wherefore, hold fast to this, and let the resurrection of your Lord be the pledge of your own final perseverance. Brethren, I cannot stop to show you how this resurrection touches the gospel at every point, but Paul is always full of that. More than 30 times, Paul talks about the resurrection, and occasionally at great length, giving whole chapters to the glorious theme. The more I think of it, the more I delight to preach Jesus and the resurrection. The glad tidings that Christ has risen is as truly the gospel as the doctrine that he came among men and for men presented his blood as a ransom. If angels sang glory to God in the highest when the Lord was born, I feel impelled to repeat the note now that he is risen from the dead. And so I come to my last head, number three. Uh, to the practical conclusion, the bearing of this resurrection upon ourselves. Paul expressly bids us remember it. Why, says one, we don't forget it. Are you sure you do not? I find myself far too forgetful of divine truths. We ought not to forget, for this first day of the week is consecrated for special purposes to constrain us to think of the resurrection on the seventh day, men celebrated a finished creation. On the first day, we celebrate a finished redemption. Bear it then in mind. Now, if you will remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David rose from the dead, what will follow? Well, first, you'll find that most of your trials will vanish. Are you tried by your sin? Jesus Christ rose again from the dead for your justification. Does Satan accuse? Jesus rose to be your advocate and intercessor. Do infirmities hinder? The living Christ will show himself strong on your behalf. You have a living Christ, and in him you have all things. Do you dread death? Jesus, in rising again, has vanquished the last enemy. He will come and meet you when it is your turn to pass through the chill stream, and you shall ford it in sweet company. What is your trouble? I care not what it is. For if you will only think of Jesus as living, full of power, full of love, and full of sympathy, having experienced all your trials, even unto death, you will have such a confidence in his tender care and in his boundless ability that you will follow in his footsteps without a question. Remember Jesus and that he rose again from the dead, and your confidence will rise as on eagles' wings. Next, remember Jesus, for then you will see how your present sufferings are as nothing compared with his sufferings, and you will learn to expect victory 
over your sufferings, even as he obtained victory. Kindly look at the chapter, and you'll find the apostle there saying in the third verse, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And further on in the eleventh verse, it is a faithful saying, For if we be dead in him, we shall also live in him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Now then, when you are called to suffer, just think, Jesus suffered, yet Jesus rose again from the dead. He came up out of his baptism of griefs, the better and more glorious for it, and so shall I. Wherefore, go you into the furnace at the Lord's bidding, and do not fear that the smell of fire shall pass upon you. Go you even down into the grave, and do not think that the worm shall make an end of you any more than it did of him. Behold in the risen one the type and model of what you are to be. Wherefore, fear not, for he conquered. Stand not trembling, but march boldly on. For Jesus Christ of the seed of David rose from the dead, and you who are of the seed of the promise shall rise again from all your trials and afflictions and live a glorious life. We see here, dear brethren, in being told to remember Jesus that there is hope even in our hopelessness. When are things most hopeless in a man? When he's dead. Do you know what it is to come down to that? So far as your inward weakness is concerned, I do. We take a deal of killing, and it is by being killed that we live. Many a man will never live till his proud self is slain. Alas, how many are so good and excellent and strong and wise and clever and all that, that they cannot agree to be saved by grace through faith. If they could be reduced to less than nothing, it would be the finest thing that ever happened to them. Remember what Solomon said it might be done with the fool? And yet it would not answer. He was to be brayed in a mortar among wheat with a pestle. Pretty hard dealing that. And yet his folly would not depart from him. Not by that process alone, but through some such method, the Holy Spirit brings men away from their folly. Under his killing operations, this may be their comfort, that if Jesus Christ rose literally from the dead, not from sickness, but from death, and lives again, even so will his people. Did you ever get where, where Bunyan pictures Christian as getting right under the old dragon's foot? He's very heavy and presses the very breath out of a fellow when he makes him his footstool. Poor Christian lay there with the dragon's foot on his breast, but he was just able to stretch out his hand and lay hold on his sword, which, by a good providence, lay within his reach. Then he gave Apollyon a deadly thrust, which made him spread his dragon wings and fly away. The poor, crushed and broken pilgrim, as he gave the stab to his foe, cried, Rejoice not over me, O mine enemy, though I fall, yet shall I rise again. Brother, you do the same. You that are near despair, let this be the strength that nerves your arm and steals your heart. Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to Paul's gospel. Lastly, this proves the futility of all opposition to Christ. The learned are going to destroy the Christian religion. Already, according to their boastings, it has 
pretty nearly come to an end. The pulpit is nothing. It cannot command public attention. We stand up and preach to empty benches. Well, as you see, or, or, or do not see, <laughs> nothing remains for us but to die decently, so they insinuate. And what then? When our Lord was dead, when the clay-cold corpse lay, watched by the Roman soldiery, and with a seal upon the enclosing stone, was not the cause in mortal jeopardy? But how did it fare? Did it die out? Every disciple that Jesus had made forsook him and fled. Was not Christianity then destroyed? Nay, that very day, our Lord won a victory which shook the gates of hell and caused the universe to stand astonished. Matters are not worse with him at this hour. His affairs are not in a sadder condition today than then. Nay, see him today and judge. On his head are many crowns, and at his feet the hosts of angels bow. Jesus is the master of legions today, while the Caesars have passed away. Here are his people, needy, obscure, despised, I grant you, but assuredly somewhat more numerous than they were when they laid him in the tomb. His cause is not to be crushed, it is forever rising. Year after year, century after century, bands of true and honest hearts are marching up to the assault of the citadel of Satan. Truly, if Christ were dead, I, I would have to admit our defeat, for they that are fallen asleep in him would have perished. But as the Christ liveth, so the cause liveth, and they that have fallen are not dead. They have vanished from our sight for a little, but if the curtain could be withdrawn, every one of them would be seen to stand in his lot, unharmed, crowned, victorious. Who are these arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? These are they that were defeated. Whence then their crowns? Well, these are they that were dishonored. Whence then their white robes? These are they who clung to a cause which is overthrown. Whence then their long line of victors? For there is not a vanquished man among them all. Let the truth be spoken. Defeat is not the word for the cause of Jesus, the prince of the house of David. We have always been victorious, brethren. We are victorious now. Follow your master on your white horses and be not afraid. I see him in the front with his blood-stained vesture around him, fresh from the wine press, where he has trodden down his foes. You have not to present atoning blood, but only to conquer after your Lord. Put on your white raiment, and follow him on your white horses, conquering and to conquer. He is nearer than we think, and the end of all things may be before the next jibe shall have come forth from the mouth of the last new skeptic. Have confidence in the risen one, and live in the power of his resurrection. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. And if you want to find that book somehow that I've been reading from called 12 Sermons on the Resurrection, it's in the Charles H. Spurgeon Library of Books. It's not a place, that's a collection of books. Published by the Baker Bookhouse, but that was back in 1968. Perhaps you can still find it. I found it in our church library. 
Do look around the site, will you, before you leave, or come back and look sometime. We have other, many other, hundreds of other Spurgeon sermons here, and we have other audios of other great preachers. We have persecution stories from North Korea in English and Korean. If you have a Korean friend, there are 400 of those. Bible studies on a number of subjects and a blog. And then, of course, there's Pasture Lands at my YouTube site. Do take a look at that. Or you can check out one of my books at Amazon.com. Email me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com, and I'll share details of our Saturday evening Zoom meeting for men, our Tuesday noon meeting for men and women. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and this audio is being released on August 30. 2022. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.